And now, a message from Pastor Michael Carmody. So we're in a series right now. We're talking in the book of Galatians, and uh, we're in the third chapter of Galatians, finishing up, in fact, the third chapter today. And our um, subject this in this little series that we're doing is faith only. Everybody say faith only. Faith say faith alone. That's actually what it is. <laughs> Got that a little bit right. Faith alone. <laughs> <laughs> I was just seeing if you were paying attention. Um, so faith alone, not faith and something else, not faith and my abilities or my works, faith alone, right? Um, so that's kind of what, that's where this Christian thing is. It's in faith alone. And uh, we're, we're studying in the book of Galatians a transition that took place and how the apostle Paul is explaining that tradition, or that transition rather, <laughs> to a group of people who had been stuck in a tradition of doing things a certain way, and that had come to an end, and they weren't adjusting to that real well. In fact, uh, there were a group of people somewhere within the Galatian communities that were actually teaching people that along with faith, you also needed to follow certain laws in order to be right with God. And so Paul is a addressing that error that you don't need to follow certain laws that faith in God's grace is enough everybody say faith is enough faith is enough right so in the 16th century a guy by the name of uh, Martin Luther was studying the scriptures and he came across a line that said the just shall live by faith and he came up with this idea that's called sola fide which is simply faith alone I'm sorry, grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's one of those days. Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So where do we put our faith? In Christ alone. It's faith alone, in Christ alone. Not Christ and me. I have no faith in me. I have no faith in what I can do to save myself. All my good works, all my good deeds are not good enough to save me. And so I must have faith in God. Y'all with me on this? So um, the law was given, Pastor Josh talked about this last week, and we've been talking about it throughout this, this uh, series. But the law was given uh, to teach us what God wants for us, right and wrong. In fact, you just go back and look at the basics, the Ten Commandments. And the Jewish people were able, with God's help, to turn those Ten Commandments into 613 laws by the time the book of Leviticus comes along. But if you look at the Ten Commandments, there's a reason God said things like, um, and I like to use the King James here, thou shalt not steal. He said, I don't want you to take, in, in today's language, don't be taking other people's stuff. And the reason he said that is because he didn't want anybody taking your stuff. He said, thou shalt not kill. Our language today just be saying, don't be killing anybody. Why not? Because he doesn't want anybody to kill you. Right? I mean, there's certain ways that God wants us to live. And so the law actually provided us with this idea of what's right and what's wrong. And really, during the law, that's all they had was the law. They had the written law. The 613 laws went through everything. It taught you, I mean, it talked about everything. If you go and read the book of Leviticus, um, some people think it's very exhausting, but it's worth reading and it, simply because it gives you an understanding of how much law was involved in being right with God in the Old Testament. And so there's all these, these laws, but the thing was, God had given the law an expiration date a best if used by date. You ever see on your food products, perishable products? You know, sometimes you'll buy like a jar of peanut butter and the expiration date's like six years from now. It's probably not a great thing, but anyway, uh, it's probably not quite that bad, but sometimes there's long expiration dates on things. And um, the expiration date is there because 
Uh, there are health concerns if you eat something that's gotten bad. It's become old, right? Um, in fact, I, was, I told this story in the first service. I tend to have for breakfast in the morning a little bit of granola type cereal, or very healthy cereal uh, with a little bit of skim milk. And typically I put berries on top of it. I like to either put blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, strawberries. If we have all of them, I throw them all on. But I throw on whatever I have. And here a few weeks back, probably a little longer than that now, I was um, fixing my breakfast and I just take the blueberries out of the little package, put them in a little um, stringer thing, what do you call that little thing, and run water through it and, you know, yep, and clean them all up because I like my berries clean. So I cleaned them all up and I put them on my cereal and I went in and turned on TV to watch a little news early in the morning and I'm sitting down and I start eating and the first bite is like, something's wrong with this. I learned that blueberries can be rotten on the inside and look good on the outside, which is very deceptive of them. Anyway, so the first, the first bite, I knew something was wrong, but I thought, well, I'm going to try this again. Took another bite, it was even worse. But now I've got them on my cereal with milk and I don't want to waste the milk and cereal. So I suffered through it, and I ate a bowl of cereal with rotten blueberries. And when I got done, I went out and I looked at the blueberry pack, I opened it up, and all the blueberries were, I mean, they looked fine on the outside, but they're just soft and mushy and just nasty, so I threw them away. Uh, but you know, I learned something, that if something has gone past its, its date, its useful date, it can really be taste, it can taste very bad. It can be, you would kind of make it kind of sick. I mean, that didn't, it didn't make me sick, thank God. I was wondering, I watched it for a day or so, and thought, kind of blue stuff could happen but anyway nothing happened and I just thought you know whatever but um, they can make you sick I mean I'll never forget one time this hasn't happened very often either but one time I had a, a, a some milk go bad Have you ever had that happen you take the cap off and it's like what died in this house you know and and I actually I actually went to pour some milk out one time and it's coming out in clumps going down the down the drain you know it's like man I'm glad I didn't put that on my cereal because I would have had to eat it um but you know it's just it's just nasty when stuff goes bad it's just it's bad it tastes bad it smells bad it's not good for you in fact I read this and this came from Harvard University I found it online you know everything online is is true, right? So you, but if it comes from Harvard University, it's doubly true because Harvard folk don't lie. Anyway, here's what it says. You might want to pay more mind to the sell-by date on your food after all. Recent research out of Harvard University finds that eating food past its expiration date could lead to an earlier death. So I don't know how many days I lost eating those blueberries, but, you know, whatever. Uh, what's done is done, right? So here's the thing, the law also had an expiration date. And if we were to see an expiration date on the law, it would look like this. The 613 laws of the Torah, best if used by 29 AD. So we have the, we have the birth of Jesus somewhere around 6 to 4 BC. Um, and so his, his crucifixion somewhere, scholars will tell us, anywhere between 27 and 32. So 29, 30 is kind of the, the, the conventional wisdom as to the time that Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead, somewhere around 29, 30. So I just threw that expiration date of 29 AD. Well, that was a long time ago. The law expired a long time ago because when grace came, grace fulfilled the law. The law was no longer needed. And now we have faith in God's grace and that changes everything. That's really good news, by the way. Nudge your neighbor say, that's good news. Here's the thing. If you use something past its expiration date, it can make you sick. Let me just say that again. If you use something, if you ingest something past its expiration date, it can make you sick. 
It's the same thing with the law. If we try to live by the law past its expiration date, it can make us spiritually sick. It can make us spiritually weak. We can begin to trust what we do instead of what God did for our, even for our salvation, as weird as that sounds, or our being right with God. Well, I, God's probably, you know, something didn't go right. God's probably upset with me because I did this or I did that or I thought that. That is foolishness. God loves you. He, are, he knew before he saved you that you were a mess. If you were going to mess stuff up, I'm, I'm just telling you. He, oh, let me speak for myself. He knew I was a mess. He, was gonna, he knew I was going to mess stuff up. I'm not going to be perfect, right? But he also desired for me to be forgiven, to be redeemed and to be changed. Not by the law, but by this little thing called grace through faith in Christ alone. You with me? Sometimes, you know, I, I mean, sometimes you hear about things that people eat stuff and it actually kills them. And I read this about the law. Check this out. I'm, you don't have this on the screen. I'm just going to read an excerpt from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But listen to this. The old written covenant ends in death. That's the law. The old written covenant ends in death, but the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. So in the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. The old covenant resulted in death. So trying to hang on to the law can kill us spiritually. Trying to make our lives line up with a pre-prescribed legalistic approach to salvation or life can actually make us sick, make us weak, and even spiritually kill us to the point where we may not become completely spiritually dead, but we're no longer growing, we're no longer changing because the law has gotten such a grip on us. I want to show you something in Galatians. I'm jumping ahead just a little bit to the next chapter in Galatians chapter 4, just for a second. It's just a quick bump and then we'll come right back. But look at this in Galatians 4, 4 through 5. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. The couple of things I want to bring to your attention here, but the main thing is this. In the fullness of time, when the fullness of time had come. Now, I don't know what it was about that period of time that, that I mentioned, four, 4 to 6 B.C., whatever, when Jesus was born, when he came to, a, to the full time of ministry, which for a Jewish person was at the age of 30 and began his public ministry for about three and a half years. I don't understand everything about what the timing of God was for that. Historically, we can go back and look at a number of things. I won't go into all of that. But we don't know why God chose that particular moment, but said in the fullness of time, time had come for Jesus to come. Everybody with me on that? And one of the things we know it says here is, that it was the fullness of time. He came at just the right time. How many believe that Jesus came at the right time? I have no idea why that was the right time, but it was the right time. And I'm just thankful that I live on this side of that time. Because on the other side of that time, it was all law. And if you weren't Jewish, you, if you weren't in, you were out. Right? And so Jesus comes at the right time. The fullness of time, what fullness? Here's what I think. I think for whatever reason, God looked at it and said, the law has fulfilled its purpose. Its expiration date is coming. Its expiration date is about 30 years away. We need to get a savior. We need to change things. I don't know what the timing of God was, but I know this, that when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, the law expired. Its expiration date came, and the law no longer had any effect. Jesus came at just the right time at the expiration date of the law. So let's get into today's text. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. Now before faith came... We were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer, everybody say no longer. No. We are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. 
For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. And the congregation said, Woo! All right. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer, say it again, no longer. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. Say it one more time. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Yeah, that's a pretty good text. Um, so verse 23, let's just start there. And Pastor Josh covered uh, some of this last week, and I just want to kind of bring our minds back, review this just a little bit, verse 23 and 24. Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded, this text. This is a new revised version. It says we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. And so it says here that the law did two things. Number one, it kind of imprisoned us. And honestly, if we try to live by the law, it really does have that effect of imprisoning us. It kind of ties us, uh, shackles us to a performance approach to God. The law, I'm going to say it again, the law shackles us to a performance approach to God. This legalistic way of living, that everything has to be done just right, everything has to be said just right, following the law is referred to as legalism. And, and I remember back in the early 80s, this is something that I, I grew up with in Christ back in the early 80s. I was saved in 79. In the early 80s, there was the big word of faith movement. The faith movement rushed through our country and other places, and it had some great elements to it. But like anything else, sometimes things just go too far. And the faith movement had this, this legal element of everybody has to say everything just right. Your confession is everything. What you say is everything. And if you say something wrong, then you're under a curse from God and all this stuff. And you know what I've, I've realized is that God knows I'm imperfect. He knows I'm going to say things wrong, but his grace is greater than my ability to speak perfectly. His grace is greater than my ability to think perfectly. That doesn't mean I can just think and do and act and say anything I want to, but when I fail, God's grace picks up. God's grace steps in where my ability steps off right? And we are all limited. I know this is going to shock some of you. Should have seen people in the first service almost passing out in the pew. But this is the deal. I am human and not perfect. And my son said, that's right, daddy. I am not perfect. I am human and completely imperfect. We all are, right? I mean, that's just, that doesn't mean that we just live any way we want to. I'm in the process of being perfected in Christ, but it is a process. And it doesn't happen because I follow prescribed laws. That process expired around 29 AD. And if I try to live by that, it's just going to make me sick. Because I'm going to keep trying to do all the right things. I'm going to do the wrong things. I'm going to say, sometimes say the wrong things. So here's the thing. Legalism allows us a means by which we can gauge our own righteousness. Let's say that again. Legalism gives us a means by which we can gauge our own righteousness. Man, I had a good day today. I didn't say this, and I didn't do that, and I didn't. We, and we box ourselves into this legalistic way of living. And here's the other thing. Not only does it give us a way of gauging our own righteousness, but everybody else's too. And that's the rub. That's the problem. That's where it becomes an issue is we take this legalism and say, well, this is the right way to do things. And if you're not doing things within the parameters of what I say based on my legalistic approach to things is right, then if you're not right, you are what? wrong. If you're not in, you are out. And I, I start in my own mind creating all of these things. It's very easy to decide. It's very easy to decide. Am I doing this and this? Am I doing that and that? What about those people? Here's the thing with legalism. Legalism requires a judge. 
Leg I'm going to say that again. Legalism requires a judge. The legal system requires a judge. And here's the problem. We are too quick to assume that role. I'll be the judge of what's going on in my life, what's going on in other people's lives. And of course, I can always find a Bible verse somewhere that I can use to condemn you for what you're doing. I can't get no help in here. You should have heard the first service when I was talking about this. They were quiet too. But here's the thing. It's so easy to take on that role of judge. I'll decide, I'll determine how things should be in my life and then how things should be in your life as well. It says that the, the law imprisoned us. It shackled us to, an, to a, a works base, a works approach to God that actually makes us spiritually ill because that's not how God justifies us. Y'all with me so far? The law says also guarded us. Those are the two things. It imprisoned us and it guarded us. So the guarding part of it is the law is kind of a neat little package to put a wall around us to say what we can and can't do. It provides boundaries that define the right way to live and the written guidelines for a religious life. Problem with that is that takes the work of the Spirit out of the equation. If my boundaries are so well set that I can't hear from the Holy Spirit, then I'm stuck in something. I'm imprisoned by what's guarding me. And so I wanted to kind of just move on here. Verse 24, it says this, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we may be justified by the law. And again, that disciplinarian is like a tutor, someone to bring us up in Christ. But literally that word disciplinarian means this is someone who corrects and scolds. The law can correct us and scold us. And here's the great thing, we can use the law to correct and scold others. So we have the law guiding us, but in the sense of correcting us, sometimes scolding us, disciplines us. At times, the disciplinary, anybody here a disciplinarian? You like a, do they have like a disciplinary responsibility over children or something? Sometimes even punishment. You know, like, okay, you're going to have to have a timeout. You know, for a three-year-old with a lot of energy, that is punishment to have to sit quietly for a little while. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. Nobody's going to get on this at all. So that's fine. But the fact of the matter is when we discipline, when we guide and direct, we have rules, right? We have rules in our homes. We all have rules. If those rules are violated, there's a punishment. Hopefully the punishment fits the crime, so to speak. But sometimes a disciplinarian has to give some kind of punishment. Well, that's what the law did. That's what the law said. It said you do this, you do this, and you do this, or this, this, and this will happen, and you will be punished by the law. And it wasn't that God wanted to punish people. He wanted people to know how to live. And so the, the law had its purpose. It had its mission. The law was given as a means of guiding human behavior until, until faith came. Because in faith, we're changed from the inside out and we do different things, not because it's a set law out here somewhere, but because something has changed inside of us and we now want to do it. The law says you have to. The Holy Spirit says I get to. Yeah. Get what I'm saying? The law says these are the boundaries. The Holy Spirit says live your life. And when you start going too far this way, there'll be a voice that'll say this is the way, walk in it. When you get over this way too far, there's a voice that says, this is the way, walk in it. There's an inner gyroscope that keeps us on track. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The law could not do that. The other thing the law couldn't do is it could not change hearts. The law couldn't change people's lives. So check this out in Colossians chapter 2. Nudge your neighbor say, I think he's probably going to be done pretty soon. Don't lie to people in church. Colossians chapter 2 says this. So then... If with Christ you've put all that pretentious and infantile religion behind you, have we done that? Why do you let yourselves be bullied by it? Don't touch this. Don't taste that. Don't go near this. Do you think things that are here today and gone tomorrow are worth that kind of attention? 
Such things sound impressive, if said in a deep enough voice. They even give the illusion of being pious and humble and ascetic, but they're just another way of showing off, making yourselves look important. Why am I reading that verse? Just simply this, because when we set up all these laws, don't do this and don't do that and don't touch this and don't go there, it sounds very religious, but those laws do not provide liberty or freedom and they can't change a person's life. The law cannot change a person's heart. They can only make one feel important. I've followed all these laws perfectly, but that guy over there, I saw what he did. I heard what he said. I'm so much better Christian than that person. That's why we have this terminology sometimes in, in churches. He's a, he's a good Christian. Are there bad Christians? I mean, I don't know. What, what, do, we, what do we really say? Well, we're really saying he, he does a good job at following the laws that I think he should follow. He's a good Christian. I can tell I'm getting no traction. Let's just move on. So the next verse... The next verse we come to in our text is verse 25. We'll get to happier times. Everybody say happier times. Yeah. There we go. Now that faith has come, woohoo! we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. I'm going to say it again. The law could not change our hearts. Faith can and does change our hearts. It changes us from the inside out. Let me say this about faith. Faith is going to shock some people, but just stay with me. Faith is not about altering behavior. Faith is not about us changing how we behave. Faith is entirely about us being changed on the inside. And when we're changed on the inside, our want-tos change, our desires change, and we begin to do differently on the outside. Not because we have to, but because something has changed on the inside and we can't help ourselves. It's just how we have to live. Something changes. Y'all with me on that? What is that transformation? It's the transformation that we are now children of God through faith, not children of the law. You were not baptized into the law. You were baptized in Christ. You were baptized in freedom. You were baptized in grace. You were baptized in faith, not in the law. Nobody baptized you inside. Baptized you in the 613 laws of the Torah. If they did, you should get rebaptized out of the 16 laws of the Torah and into faith, into grace. You're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, not in the name of the 613 laws of the Torah. So we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. We done growed up. We are adults now, right? And we're no longer under this need for laws and boundaries to tell us how to live because we have something living inside of us that makes us mature Christians in Christ, the ability to follow God's leading in our lives. Christian life is not about being imprisoned, guarded, or disciplined by the law. It's about being a child of God through faith. The law no longer defines us. Somebody get happy. When we, when, well, when we attempt to be defined by following the law, the legal requirements, we're not walking in faith. Verse 20, uh, 27, I got to move on, I can tell. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. How many got baptized into Christ? Then you did not get baptized and get clothed in the law. You got baptized and clothed in Christ. Our identification is with Christ, not with the law. Right? So in the baptism, we put on Christ, not the law. The law is ill-fitting and it'll make us sick because it expired 29 AD. If we try to live on that, it's going to take a lot of life out of us. Verse 28. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Everybody say no longer with me one more time. I want you to understand something. These identifications, Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female, these identifications, and many more just like them, 
they all, all, all of those represented by these three examples define what is good, acceptable, and valued, and what is unacceptable, bad, and devalued based on law. Let me, let me give you an example of what I mean by that. So the law made a very clear distinction between peoples. Um, the Jews, for example, were not allowed to go into the home of a Gentile. If a Jew, if me being a Jew, stepped into the home of a Gentile, I have defiled myself, and within the 613 laws is a whole list of things that I now have to do that I've stepped into the home of a Gentile, or touched a dead body, or the list just goes on and on. But I can't go into the home of a Gentile, right? Gentile cannot come into my home. You know when Peter went to the house of Cornelius in the book of Acts chapter 10, he goes in the house of Cornelius and preaches the gospel to Cornelius. He basically walks in and basically says, I, this is the Carmody paraphrase, he says, I am not supposed to be here. I am not supposed to be in the house of a Gentile. But last night I got a vision from God and he told me I shouldn't call anybody unclean. Good lesson, by the way. Amen. And so here I am, he says. I'm here to bring you the gospel. He walked in the home of a Gentile, which was absolutely unheard of under the law. If a Gentile walked into a synagogue, that was, it would defile the synagogue and there's a whole list of things that have to be done. Paul was one time accused of taking taking Greeks or non-Jews into the synagogue. He didn't actually do that, but he was accused of that. The Gentiles were considered, listen to me carefully, under Jewish law, the Gentiles were considered of lesser value than the Jews. There's no nice way to say that. It's just the way the law is laid out. The Gentiles were of lesser value than the Jews. Not only that, but the law also did not allow slaves to have the same privilege as free people. And it says here, there's, as it says in this passage, there's no longer slaves and free. Well, the slaves were also considered to be lesser value to society. A Jewish slave, while he was enslaved, was not actually considered a Jew because the, Jew are, the Jews are the people of God. If someone was enslaved, he was literally considered not a Gentile, but just simply a non-person. This person is owned by someone else, which is why God, in his brilliance, comes up with the idea of jubilee. Every 50 years, the slaves go free because he really didn't want his people to stay in that kind of slavery and be non-people. And so there's this problem between a person who's a slave and a person who's free. The free individual has more rights, more privileges than the enslaved, and the free person, I'm not talking about imprisoned, I'm talking about enslaved, and imprisoned would be the same, but enslaved people were not considered to be as valuable as a free person. Then, of course, we have the conversation about male and female, men and women, right? Um, so in the Old Testament, under the law, the men had rights and privileges that the women did not have. To this day, within Orthodox Jewish culture, when we were in Israel, it's very clear. There's two different parts of the Western Wall, for example. One part the men go to, and then there's this little sliver over here that the women can go to. And the men are over here dancing and celebrating and having a great time, and the women have to be quiet and behave themselves over here on this side. Still to this day, within Judaism, there's these, these lines of male and female. So what Paul's not, Paul's not saying there is no longer someone who's a Jew and someone who's a Gentile. Of course there are. I'm not a Jew. I'm a Gentile, but there are still Jews today. He's not saying there is no such thing as somebody who's free and somebody who's enslaved. Of course, there's still slavery of all kinds today. There are many people who are enslaved to many things, and there are many people who are free. They still exist. There are still males and females today. He's not saying these things no longer exist. He's saying these things no longer matter when it comes to salvation because all of those laws have been moved away and we are all children of God. Some slaves may have more freedom than free people have. Women have tremendous wisdom and insight. My mom was one. So is my wife. And women are capable of great intuition and thought. They're, guys, we're not smarter than the ladies. 
Just thought I'd throw that out there. If I get beat up, you know why? Anyway, women in the Old Testament did not have the same rights and privileges. All that's gone. It's gone. Thank God, no longer. None of that stuff, right? You know that some Jewish men actually prayed. This is a written prayer that some Jewish men actually learned and prayed by, by memory. Listen to this. I thank you, God, that you have not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Those three things. You've not made me a Gentile. You've not made me a slave. You've not made me a woman. Sounds like the guy who was praying and said, God, I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector over here. And the tax collector was beating his chest saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Right? Which one walks away justified? The one who repented, right? So the Jewish law delivered a nice, neat little package for determining who's in and who's out, who's part of, who's not part of, who's good, who's bad. That's why Jesus fulfilled the law by removing all of that rubbish. When Jesus hung on the cross, he said something amazing. He said, Father, forgive them. When he said them, he meant everybody who's not me. Everybody who's not Jesus, Father, forgive them. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, whatever they are, whatever they say, God, forgive them. Paul says all of this is over. There's no longer these distinctions. And then the very last verse I'll share with you, Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. I finished my text. Here it is. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So we're just about at the very end of this dialogue about Abraham. As Pastor Josh has been sharing the last several weeks, there's this correlation between the faith, that we, that the faith of Abraham, the faith that Abraham had in God. The law that came 430 years later did not nullify that faith. We we're walking in faith as followers of Abraham today in a sense. And what he said was that this promise of the whole world being blessed through Abraham was to him and his seed, not multiple seeds, millions of people that were born to the Jewish lineage, but the seed, one seed in that seed was Jesus. But what's really incredible is this verse. Can we put it up one more time? If you belong to Christ, does anybody here belong to Jesus? If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. You are the one who inherits life by faith through Abraham. Look at this, heirs according to the promise. What was the promise that God gave Abraham? The promise that God gave Abraham, when you break it down, is really simple. All the nations of the earth will be blessed by you. Through your lineage, all the people of the earth will be blessed. Jesus comes along as the heir, the fulfillment of that. And through Jesus' life, all the nations of the world today are blessed. There are believers, 2.4, maybe 2.5 billion of us throughout the entire world. The, the, the Christian faith is the only religion, if you want to call it that, that has had a major impact on every continent in the world. Because of one man, because of Jesus the entire nations of the world are blessed. And not only that, but now you and I are part of that heritage in the world. All the nations of the world are blessed through you and through me by us praying, by us giving. We're, that's why we're determined that we're going to take a portion of what comes into this church and we're going to send it all over the world and we're going to make a difference all over the world for real people that we will never meet on this side of heaven, but we can be a blessing to every nation of the world because we are the people of faith. We're the people of God through faith in Christ. For more information on New Covenant, Contact us at 3318 5th Avenue South, Fort Dodge, Iowa, 50501. Or you can call us at 515-955-6222.